Welcome in to Shot and Vip, a podcast brought to you by Inside Carolina this football season, presented to you by our sponsor, Johnny T-Shirt. Taylor Vibliss, and I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman and teammate Jeff Shotmer. Shotman, how was your bye week? Because when you, I've, I have a theory that when you start your bye week with an NC State loss on a Friday, it's only up from there. Vip, I mean, anytime NC State loses, it's always a, it's always a win and a, you know, a happy weekend. But uh, look, as a fan bye weeks are needed. I know the players need them, the coaches need them, but but the fans themselves, they deserve a bye week too. It's stressful being a UNC fan and you know, for us to start 4 and 0 and have a bye week at a good time and you know, we get to relax and watch all the other teams win or lose and the stress is on them. So a bye week was uh came at the perfect time for us. How did you kind of approach the the bye week a, as a player and having that chance to kind of disconnect but then also realizing that when you do come back you do have that kind of short turnaround for another game. Bye weeks are the best as a player. You know, you you, you know exactly what your schedule is going to be. Um, you know, you really have three tough practices, and those practices are more geared toward the towards the younger guys. So if you're kind of an entrenched starter and you know a you know prime time player for the program, then you know you're really just you know kind of recovering that week. You're still going to keep your conditioning up and you know, stay locked in and maybe get some extra extra film on the next two opponents. But, you know, it's really for the young guys to get out there and, and really, you know, have physical practices. So, you know, as a starter, as Drake May and, and Cedric Gray and those guys, they've played so many snaps that, um, you know, bye week's great for their body and they're able to recover. It's easier on the coaches. The coaches work their ass off all year round, you know. Um, they're, they're in the office, you know, 100 plus hours a week. So that they get to go home and see their family and watch some college football on Friday and Saturday of the bye week, but you know, they're back in the facility Sunday morning, grinding on the next opponent. So it's kind of just a breath of fresh, a breath of fresh air uh, for everyone in the building um, because, you know, it can be some long hours in season. And, you know, I, I thought it came at the perfect time and we'll, we'll kind of get into that in a minute. Yeah. We don't have a, a game to talk about this week because of that open week. So we're going to kind of take a step back and, and look at the season as a whole for where we are so far, Carolina enters this game against Syracuse 4-0 coming off the bye. They beat South Carolina 31-17. to They beat App State in double OT 40-34. They beat Minnesota 31-13, to and then they win at Pitt 41-24. to So a month into the season, Carolina's 4-0. If you break the season up into like a quarters type approach, Pretty good quarter for Carolina. Where are you at with this team entering the Syracuse game? In in my opinion, you know, we couldn't have scripted a better start. You know, minus the Tez Walker situation, this opening four games have gone exactly how I wanted them to go. And here's why. So you start with a, you know, the, the opening game is is a, is a, is a mutual site game on, you know, versus South Carolina, who's an, who's an SEC opponent who whooped our ass the last time we played him in the bowl game. You know, it, it was a dominant showing in the prime time. Cause we didn't really know what to expect. You know, South Carolina was, 
had some hype coming into the offseason, and so did we, and we we handled them the whole game. Uh, you know, then we go and we win an overtime game against App State, our rival, and we, we play a tight one, but we finally win an overtime game. You know, the next game we go, we play a Minnesota team who is who's got this, uh, you know, notoriety for being this big, physical, Big Ten team, and we dominate them. We looked like the better team, the more physical team, the more complete team, and we beat them by three scores. And then we go, um, you know, Pittsburgh, our fourth game, ACC opponent on the road who we've, we've, we've lost to two out of the last three years. And, you know, we go, we go completely dominate them as well. We have a good showing on the road and they're always known as an aggressive physical team. And Carolina has always been labeled soft and in, in, in some regards and, and for the, for the big physical teams, you know, uh, Pittsburgh and Minnesota, we, we run through them and we handle our business. And the thing that I loved about it is we won each game in a different style. You know, the opening game, we won with defense. Our defensive line just completely wrecked the game. Versus App State, Hampton ran the shit out of the ball. Our, our run game was awesome. Versus Minnesota, Drake throws for 400 yards. And then in the Pittsburgh game, we get a big special teams play, and our defense shows out in the second half. You know, obviously mixing a few Drake passes and, and left-handed throws and um, left-handed touchdown throws. And, look, that's four different ways to win a game. We're 4-0. Going into bye week, we get people healthy, and now we start for the real meat of our schedule. Yeah, I think, one, I, I love that Carolina is finding different ways to win, but also you mentioned the the variety of opponent. You have the SEC, the Big Ten, the in-state rival that's a lot better than a lot of people um, from the outside will probably give them credit for. Um, and outside of that App State game where – a few plays make that game a lot closer than it should be. This North Carolina team has been in control for what 80% of the, the games we've seen where you go into a fourth quarter and you're like, you're fairly confident you're going to win this game. And that's a, that's been a drastic um, change from years past where you're going the, the back and forth shootout type style game and whatever team has the ball last wins we're really not seeing that this year and, and people can kind of nitpick about things they don't like, you know, certain play calls, how, how the defense starts the game, but this team come the second half is looking like a really, really solid team. And I don't think that's something that we're used to seeing for, for Carolina football. We're used to being in these dogfight type games. We're used to playing down to an opponent, like, in years past, that Pittsburgh team's not that good, but in years past, that Carolina team plays down to their level. Or, you know, the the Minnesota game, when Minnesota starts coming back, the Carolina team kind of goes back into their shell, plays a little scared, and then all of a sudden, it's a game. It's a game mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. This team, that's the thing I love the most about this team, is that they understand, like, when to put – their foot on somebody's neck and, and they are playing, you know, just a, a complete control style of football. But when you're looking at the season now, we have that part of the season gone. Carolina's 4-0, uh, some tough games in there, South Carolina at Minnesota and Pittsburgh. How are you breaking up the rest of the schedule and kind of projecting out how things look in the future? So I'll, I'll kind of give you a perspective from the coach's point of view and just kind of how they look at the season, right? So 
from the outsider's perspective, every you know fan and, and media member thinks that coaches just look at games one game at a time, but they kind of break the season up in parts. And this season, you know, we have the first four games, which are four really good opponents. We handle business in all four. And then you have the bye week, so you kind of reset. So we won the first section of the season, and now we have two really, really good opponents in Syracuse and Miami. Okay, and then looking looking ahead after that, it's it's Georgia Tech and Virginia, who obviously we cannot overlook, but they are not good football teams. So we're looking at we're looking at Syracuse and Miami right now, and and I kind of want to talk about them a little bit. I think. Obviously, we should win both games, but I don't care what the score is. As long as we win, if it's if we if we win both games by a point, then that checks the box. That's all I want to see out of these next two games. You know, these are games where, yes, it'd be nice to blow them out, but these are just must win games in terms of however we however we get it done. That's that's great for our program because we, we go six and zero headed into uh, Georgia Tech. And uh, Virginia, you know, we got something, something special building. And, um, you know, Syracuse is, is a good football team. They're a bowl. They're going to be a, a bowl eligible team. And, you know, obviously they get beat by Clemson, you know, pretty handily this weekend. But, you know, we, we cannot overlook them. And, um, you know, looking forward to Miami. Like if we, went, if we beat Syracuse, obviously, I think college game day should show up to Chapel Hill you know, mid-October, and it should be two undefeated teams, two, two top 20 teams, and um, it should be a great showdown. So um, that's kind of how they, they break the schedule down. And then, obviously, um, after Virginia Tech and after Virginia and Georgia Tech, we got another quote-unquote bye week, which is Campbell. You know, that, that's a team we should win by 60 points. And then you finish the last half of the season with three really good teams and Duke, State, and Clemson. So that's kind of the breakdown of the of the, of the season for us. And, and – and we quote unquote have two bye weeks, obviously, because the Campbell look, we're just they're just an inferior opponent. They cannot keep up that, with that's us. That's the but, let's see what we have in Connor Harrell game. Exactly. That's him. That's the true freshman playing. That's when, when all these fans want to see these other linebackers playing besides Eccles and Gray, that's the game that they go play in, you know. Um, so so we do have a very favorable schedule in terms of how it kind of breaks down. You know, we 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 took care of business in the first quarter. So these next two games, let's go attack it, and we win those two, and then you know we're we're going to be in a great situation, you know, moving into the late half of October. Yeah, you mentioned that stretch with UVA and Georgia Tech, and it's kind of crazy to see how down of a year both those teams are having. Where where Georgia Tech just lost by double digits to Bowling Green at home. And Virginia lost to um, James Madison earlier this year. And just just the state of football in, in Virginia right now, where I'm pretty sure James Madison is is the best program in that state right now with, with the direction that Virginia Tech and, and Virginia are both going. You mentioned the, the Syracuse-Miami part of the schedule and how the Miami game could be a potential like look-ahead spot for, for this North Carolina team. From your playing experience, how do you avoid that look-ahead spot where you do have a, a really quality Syracuse team with uh, playmakers at multiple positions, but it, it does just feel natural to be like, hey, we're a win away from having – and Miami has to do their part too against Georgia Tech and Haynes King, the Texas A&M transfer quarterback. 
but you are a week away from a potential top 15 matchup at home. I, I think there's two things. One, you turn on the tape, and if you know football at all, you watch Syracuse play, and they're a damn good team. Great coach, aggressive defense. They got some skill skill on the offensive side of the ball. So, look, if you just watch the tape and objectively watch it, like you should, you should be a little worried playing them because they're a really good football team. Um, so I think that's number one. And then number two is, is as a competitor, which – I think we have some really good competitors on our team. Look, they come off a bye week. You only get 12 opportunities to showcase your talent in college football. You work year round, 365 days for these 12 games. I'm not good at math, but what's that? You work, you know, you play less than 3% of the year. You know, you work, I don't, I don't know, Vip, right? Tell me, you know, you're working 365 days and you have 12 opportunities. You know, that's, that's very few opportunities for you to really step on a primetime stage and, and compete and, and, and support and, you know, play for your school, play for your brothers. So, um, and obviously coming off a of bye week, we don't play this week. So, you know, our guys are going to be chomping at the bit to get, to get back in Keenan, great atmosphere, great weather, you know, it'll be a, it should be a great turnout from our fans. So I think that's the two part is, is turning on the film and watching how good Syracuse is. So knowing you can't take them lightly and then, you know, we have bigger aspirations and goals this year than, you know, to beat Syracuse and Miami. We're, we're trying to go compete for ACC championships and beyond that. So, um, yeah, I, I think we have a mature team, um, you know, some leadership on both sides of the ball. And Coach Brown knows that this is – and I'll, I'll come out and say this may be his last best opportunity at, you know, his second stand at Carolina to really have a – you know, a really, really good season. And he knows that. So he's not going to let anything slide by. Yeah. One, the the Drake May aspect of, of everything and not knowing if your quarterback next year is going to be at his level. It's, it's safe to say your next quarterback is not going to be at the level of Drake May with, with the talent that we've seen at quarterback um, with May under center. And also, I, I think it has been cool this year to see how the ACC moves away from the the two divisions and seeing how everything's going to shake out with the two teams. Like at first it, it felt like, you know, it was Florida state and Clemson in those two spots. And now you see Clemson already has two conference losses. You have Louisville at three and O you have Florida state at two and O uh, North Carolina is one and O in conference. And then Virginia tech is technically one and O in conference. The only other team in conference that hasn't lost, but it's it starting to feel like when you're looking around and you're looking at remaining schedules, you're like, is it going to be uh, one loss that gets you to Charlotte? Is it going to be, can a team get in with two conference losses, depending on where those two teams are? And it feels like it's like a, a four or five team race right now. And you don't want to be the first one to trip up. And I, I think that's the, the best point you made about avoiding the, the look ahead spot. Like, North Carolina's goal should not be just beating Miami. It should be getting to the ACC with the talent that they've kind of displayed this year. And also, you mentioned it. The when whenever people mention like how few opportunities there actually are, it, it, it is kind of crazy to think about. Like these players are working all year. That's why when when people complain about them like dancing in locker rooms or something, I'm like, dude, these kids have like you have already 12 opportunities and say you win eight games, then all of a sudden you have eight opportunities to go out and, and celebrate and dance. And um, 
really enjoy in, in what you're preparing all this time for. Um, but that is going to take us to our first sponsor today. Inside Carolina podcasts are sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. So we want you to go over to johnnytshirt.com or on Franklin Street to support the people that support us. Go ahead and treat yourself or somebody you love to some more Carolina apparel because you can never have enough. They've got a wide selection of football gear, jerseys, T-shirts, hats, you name it. They've got it at a great affordable price. Shot, we have three straight home games. It's it's the perfect time for the Carolina fans to head on over to Franklin Street and check out Johnny T-shirt. And not I'm going hey, I'm I'm to be up there for the Miami game. I'm definitely going to run by Johnny T-shirt. Grab me We're going to have to tell Johnny T-shirt to run by. Maybe, maybe we'll do like a little autograph signing, a little, <laughs> little meet and greet with Shot. Nah, my autographs are worthless. <laughs> Maybe put some kind of NIL shirt for, for shot in the store. But <laughs> they are locally and alumni owned and operated. It's great people, great prices. And don't forget, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, Jeff, looking at this season, there's an obvious answer. I'm going to let you take it however you want. Who is your offensive MVP so far for this UNC team? I mean, obviously the easy answer is Drake May, but I'm going to take a different route, and I'm going to say Hampton. Um, look, he's had 13-plus carries in, in all four games. Um, he's had seven touchdowns. He, he started the year for South Carolina. He had two, you know, mauling red zone touchdown runs. You know, that App State game where he ran wild, and that was kind of his breakout game. And uh, Obviously, Minnesota, he, he had some good carries, and it was a mix of him and British, but we were really throwing the ball that game. And um, Pittsburgh, he, he looked just as good as he did in App State. He just didn't have as many carries. So Hampton's been kind of the spark that we needed, and I know I was so high on British Brooks after the South Carolina game, but when he went down and, you know, he hurt, he injured his ankle, Hampton stepped up, and he's, he's going to be our bell cow, you know, running back for the rest of the season. And you know, he should go over a thousand yards and have 15 plus touchdowns. So he's been our offensive MVP other than Drake. So um, we need, we need him to keep running, running hard and run physical. Yeah. I'll go with an outside the, the box pick for my MVP for this team. Um, I'm going to go looking at the numbers, somebody that's kind of helped out. You don't have Tez Walker, Nate McCullum um, was sidelined early. There was a lot of question marks at receiver. And J.J. Jones is Carolina's leading receiver. 16 catches, 296 yards, averaging 18 and a half uh, yards per catch. He's kind of been that been that guy for Carolina to be their deep threat. And he has a huge game against Pittsburgh, 117 yards. But he has been pretty solid this entire season where he goes for 64 yards in the Minnesota game. He goes for 91 yards in the app game. And he he's starting to look like a guy that Carolina can count on week in and week out. We talked about it. Um, we talked about it. I think it was last podcast where the difference between Nate McCollum and Josh Downs is that, you know, you know what Josh Downs you're getting every game. There, there's no surprise there. He's going to give you 90 to 100-plus yards every game because of how consistent he is, and and that consistency has been something 
that this North Carolina team has needed with McCollum and Tez Walker out. And I think JJ Jones has provided some of that stability. Um, so no touchdowns for, for JJ Jones yet. Um, still waiting for him to get in the end zone, but I, I do think he does deserve some props for kind of um, stabilizing this wide receiver core. When we, we mentioned it, our uh, pre week one podcast, how, how big of a concern the wide receivers were and just how unproven they were with, with Tez Walker um, being ineligible. Who would you say has been your biggest surprise on offense? I'll say JJ Jones. You know, I was going to go with Willie Lampkin, but he's he's been injured the last two weeks and he, he's been great for us. And I think he's, we're going to get him back healthy. But JJ Jones, man, I think two of the two of the biggest you know attributes you can have in college football are availability and dependability. And JJ has lined up every game and produced in all four games. So he's available. He's making plays. He's making, you know, contested catches. He's making downfield catches and, uh, you know just he, his development, he's, he's gaining confidence. You could see it in the Pittsburgh game. He catches a couple balls on the sideline. He's talking shit to the, the Pittsburgh coaching staff, their side, like he's got some swag to him and that's what we need. You know, if we're not going to have Tez Walker, we need, we need a go getter. We need a dog at receiver. And I think JJ's confidence is only growing. And um, you know, he's been my surprise of the year so far. Yeah. I, I think you, you hit it right on the head with that. It was tracking to be Willie Lampkin. And I think that's something that Carolina desperately needs for Willie Lampkin's interior presence. I think you saw Carolina be able to run the ball a lot more efficiently when Willie Lampkin was the one kind of leading the way. And and that's been something that's been missing despite the fact that Carolina keeps winning in, in um, a dominant fashion. Who would you, we're four games in the rest of the season, who would you challenge to step up for this Carolina offense for Carolina to reach their goals, to, you know, win their last game of the season, to get to the ACC championship, to kind of win these in-state games too. You know, the position group I was so high on in the preseason was the tight end room. And, you know, we, we've had some production from them, but they kind of haven't lived up to the standards that, you know, of three premier ACC players. So I'm going to challenge those guys to step up. And I know Copenhaver's dealt with a little hand injury and, um, you know, had some injuries, but, you know, Morales and um, Nesbitt and Copenhaver, you know, it's it's time for you guys to step up and they should have over 100 yards combined in every game and at least a touchdown. Um, you know, they they produced a little bit, but it's time to take it to the next step. And um, I think they'll they'll be able to get back healthy and really will implement them in the, in the, the offense for the rest of the season. So th- th- that's my position group that I'm challenging to step up and kind of fulfill their potential. Yeah, they have just over those three combined have just over uh, 300 receiving yards on uh, 21 catches. And in comparison, Nate McCollum himself has has 21 catches. And how much of that is due to Copenhaver playing with a club on his hand? Um, But I, I do think you're right where it feels like there is a lot of untapped potential in that room, specifically with somebody like Bryson Nesbitt, who's at 10 catches, 88 yards. Um, and you just see the way that some teams use tight ends in the NFL. And I, I do think that's a position that Carolina can get a lot more production from. And that's kind of nitpicking because of how good Carolina has been and how important those guys are, not only to the pass game, but also 
um, to the run game and, and in pass pro too. Questions on offense. Where where are your biggest question marks? So we talked about the MVPs. We talked about where we want um, players to kind of step up. Where are your questions on offense? I think one is is can our O line, you know, can they stay healthy and can they withstand the season? We've only played really six guys. Um, you know, with Lampkin out, we had Ed Montillas get in there and, and play a bunch of snaps, but we really trotted out the same five guys the whole season. So can they stay healthy? Can they keep gelling as, as a unit? And, you know, can we continue to run the ball and, and pass protect for Drake for the rest of the year? I think that's going to be our, you know, one of the big questions on offense. I think another one is, you know, during the first four games with the new offensive coordinator, you kind of work out some play calling kinks and situational football and, you know, what, what, what's going to be our short, short yardage package? What's going to be our goal line package? Are we going to run the wildcat? Are we going to put tight ends in the game in red zone? Like, how are we kind of going to operate? So, you know, that's going to be a question going forward is, you know, we have had four, four games to get the kinks out. So let's see how we operate for the rest of the year. Um, Our third down offense has been amazing. You know, I think we're in top 10 in the country. Can we keep, you know, um, number two? Yeah. Wow. Number two, um, can we 50, 57.9% conversion? It, yeah, that's incredible. And, and a lot of it's, you know, Drake with his legs at times and he needs to continue to do that. But can we sustain that level of success on third down is going to be huge for us going forward. Um, and then, and then the other thing I'd like to see is some, some receivers outside of um, JJ Jones, Pace Sauer and um, Nate McCollum step up, Right. Like I'm not saying from Andre Green or, or or Chapman or Holiday that we need you know 100 yard games, but we need some some flashes of you know three catches for 67 yards, you know a 40 yard touchdown. We need you know bits and like spurts of, of of great receiver play from from the young guys that aren't playing much, you know, because we run an up tempo fast offense and those three at the top can't play all the snaps. We got to get some young guys in there to catch some big big third down possessions, you know, so. Can those receivers step up the, the three, you know, we know our main three, but can we get some production from the rest of the guys? So, you know, O-line receiver play and um, can we, can we keep him, uh, can we keep our third down offense where it is? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that, that third down offense, I had that stat ready just because of, it's amazing that Carolina is converting at uh, 57.9% of, of third downs. Uh, you're, when, you're, when you're converting at that kind of number, you're going to win a lot of games because teams just cannot get you off the field. 
And then I have some of the pro football focus offensive grades. Uh, no surprise, leading the way for North Carolina with a grade of 90.6. Strake May, number two for Carolina, is Omar in Hampton with an 83.2. The only two Tar Heels graded at 80 or above. Omar in Hampton also an 84.1 in pass blocking. Uh, last last year, his pass blocking was in the 40s. So to go from in the 40s to an 84.1 is is pretty remarkable. Uh, I, I will Lampton, say that part, part of that is Amari and Hampton, I bet in high school, never pass blocked one time. No, no. One time. You know, he was he was running the rock, and when they were throwing the ball, he was either catching it or he was out of the game. So, yeah. you know, that, that buffer year, that freshman year to learn how to pass block. So that makes sense. It's a foreign concept when you come in your freshman year and you're like, wait, I have to stand in here and try to Hit yeah. Kareem Martin coming <laughs> off the edge. <laughs> For sure. Uh, their number three graded player on Pro Football Focus is Willie Lampkin, 78.7. Their number four is Nate McCollum, wide receiver, 74.4. And then rounding out the top five, I'll do the top six because those are all the guys rated 70 or above. Uh, British Brooks, 71.0. Uh, so two running backs in the top five, and then JJ Jones seventy point nine. So all guys that we mentioned, and it kind of That's passes on par the, with our analysis. Bit. Yep, passes the eye test. Those those have been the the top six for Carolina, and why their offense has done as well as their offense has done so far. Uh, I I do think the offensive line is is something to keep an eye on and something to be uh, a bit concerned about. For, for where this team can go and see if they reach their potential. But defensive MVP, who is Shots defensive MVP through four games? So I've, I think the easy answer is Cedric Gray. You know, I, I talk about him so much on this podcast, and, you know, he's the heartbeat of the defense, but I'm going to go with uh, Elijah Huzzy. You know, he's completely transformed our secondary. Just in turn, like, look at his stats. So he's got 17 tackles. He's got PBUs. He's got interceptions. He's got intercepts or he's got punt return for a touchdown. Like he's just a, he's just a football player. And the thing that I love about him is his versatility. You know, he, he's played nickel some this year. He's played outside corner, but just his ability to his, first of all, his ball skills are incredible. Some of the best I've seen as a DB, you know, he, some of the best plays he makes are just, you know, contesting balls and not getting PIs, which we've seen so much out of our UNCDBs yeah. in the past couple of years. You know, the, the big one is the, the one to end the App State game, you know, in overtime where they throw it up and he's in perfect body position and plays the hands of the receiver and, and has the PBU that wins the game. And Huzzy completely transformed and, and changed that pit game, you know, with his two punt returns and then his big PBU on third down. So that guy just allows our, our secondary to do different things. And uh, he looks he looks like an NFL player, and he's he's our best DB we've had since MJ Stewart in 20, 2015. So uh, keep it up, Elijah, because you're you're doing your thing, bro. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. He is a he brings that kind of dog mentality to the defense, and watching him, like I, I love going to the games just because you don't get the the TV view, and you can kind of see the the full 22 and just watching him over and over either lock down a person or you know get beat and then get back into recovering and and still making a play 
or that one of the plays I the first one of the first plays I remember him making in the South Carolina game. He comes up, he blows up like a, a bubble screen type play. I think it was the, the first play of the year. Yeah. And then I think on that third down, he comes out of nowhere, has the pass breakup and gets Carolina off the field. And I remember turning to somebody and being like, We I don't think we've had a DV like this in in quite a while. Uh so I agree with you. Huzzy would be my defensive MVP so far. Who would you say has been the biggest surprise on defense? I'm going to go with Cameron Rucker. Uh, You know, we always knew he was a good talent, but, you know, he's been completely disruptive and he's, he's changed the game at times. You know, obviously the South Carolina game, he comes out on fire with, you know, five tackles for loss and two or three sacks, whatever it is, but he's been a force, a mainstay in the, in the, in the run defense and the, in the pass rush. He's been our, you know, probably our most, definitely our most productive defensive lineman. He's playing a bunch of snaps. I, I bet he's played 75, 80% of the snaps as a defensive lineman. So, you know, he's been a huge surprise. He looks like a NFL player, his motor, you know, his, his, his versatility. Um, and, and we're finally playing him to his strengths. You know, he's, he's a beast in the run game. He uses his leverage really well because he's a shorter guy. He gets into the offensive tackles you know, center of gravity. And then around, around the edge when he's pass rushing, like he's got some quickness and some burst and he's hard to block. So uh, he, he's been our big surprise and he'll, he'll be a first or second team all ACC guy at the end of the year. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I know it was true before um, the, the bye week but I, I would imagine it, it's still, he still ranks among the best. I think he was top five pressures generated this year for, for defensive players. And, um, just seeing the consistency that he has week in and week out is something that I think more players for this Carolina team should um, look to replicate because we don't go into a game wondering what we're going to get from Kamon Rucker. You turn on that film and he is going to be in the backfield more often than not. We talked about players we wanted to uh, challenge to step up offensively with the tight ends. Who are your players that you would want to challenge defensively? So I think our kind of weakness as a defense has been our interior defensive line play. And uh, so I'm going to challenge Miles Murphy and Ritzy. You know, those are two highly recruited guys. They've been been at Carolina for three years now, and they played a lot of football. You know, we see them flash, at, flash you know, their potential at times, but it's time for them to step up and be a mainstay in our defense. You know, those guys got to anchor – you know, they're playing they're playing three technique mostly, which is, you know, over the guards. And we got to get some disruption out of them. You know, um, Des Evans has come along a lot. So I'm not I'm happy with his play. But, you know, two guys that I really want to see step up are, are those two, three techniques that we got that are, you know, highly recruited kids. They got talent. I think it's just the the consistency of them playing down in and down out and making making plays. So, um, you know, let's let's see some production out of those guys. Yeah, and the other thing with Des Evans is when you watch him on film, like his motors unbelievable. Plays his ass off. He plays harder <laughs> than anyone on defense. Him and Power Eccles are the are the standard for playing every playing every hard. snap. You're like, I, his his motor is it's incredible to watch, and he he should be getting rewarded with more sacks just off his motor alone. But there there were times this year in the the Minnesota game for sure, where you're, if you're the other coach, you're telling your quarterback, Hey, w- live with the sack, 
if if Dez Evans is is you know in your face, about to bring you down, live with the sack. Don't just throw the ball up. A lot of the passes that um, that have been picked off, Carolina has gotten to the quarterback, and the quarterbacks are just making these ill-advised throws. And if you're Carolina, you'd live with that because of the play that you're getting from the back end from players like Elijah Huzzy, who are in position to take these interceptions or take these ducks that quarterbacks are just throwing up. Um, But yeah, Dez Evans, um, it's hard to complain about any of the production that Dez Evans has, has given this Carolina team before we finish the podcast with a, a new segment. Um, where are your questions on defense? So my questions are kind of, can, can we keep this up? You know, my biggest challenge and, and what I, you know, said in the preseason podcast was, you know, last year, I think we averaged, we gave up, you know, 35, 37, 39 points a game on defense. Can we get below the 25 mark? And I think we're at 22 right now. And the thing that I love seeing is our second half defense. I think we're averaging seven and a half points per game in the second half of our games. You know, that is, that's winning football. You know, that, that tells me that our guys are, you know, first half that the offenses might come out and run something a little bit different. They have some nuances that are different than they've shown on film, but we're getting those mistakes corrected and we're going into halftime and we are fixing them. So that, that's, that shows some maturity from our defense. And um, I'd like to see some more turnovers, more sacks, but you know, our numbers are pretty good through the first four games. I think if you extrapolate it to the 12 game mark, they're, you know, they're probably top 50 in the country. Um, My kind of question mark is, I think which DBs are we going to see, you know, play the majority of the snaps going forward? You know, everyone had high hopes for stick lane and, and Hardy, you know, coming into the season and now they're finally healthy and we're kind of throwing them out there and they're getting more snaps. So are we going to see those two safeties play a lot more? Because I think we should play them. I think Biggers and Chapman, you know, they're, they're reliable players. They're smart. They know what to do, but they're not playmakers. So I think, you know, going forward, are we going to see more snaps from Lane and Chapman? I mean, Chap, uh, Lane and Hardy at safety. Are we going to, are we going to have uh, Chapman play more corner? Because when he played, uh, he looked good at times. You know, I know we got Holloway and 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 uh, Derek Allen who've played well. Um, Marcus Allen, I'm sorry. So, kind of kind of my question mark is what's going to be the defensive back rotation for the for the last half of the season. Um, but, I mean, I guess the other thing is, you know, Bo Atkinson has showed out to me. You know, in this in the limited snaps he's gotten, yeah. you know, he he's been a force and he plays with with high energy and he's been productive. So. Is he going to get more snaps? Are we going to finally get Travis Shaw over the hump? Because he, he's played a little bit more, but he hasn't been productive. So kind of like, you know, as as the midpoint of the season approaches and, and these guys are getting snaps, well, it's time for them to produce. So, um, you know, kind of my question is, can, and, and also third down defense. We've been pretty good on third down defense. You know, the stat that, what are we? Top 15 I will in the check it. You, you fill for a second and I'll, um, I'll check. Look, if, if we can keep our third down defense and our scoring defense in the top 50 in the country, then we are going to be playing Florida State in the ACC championship. That is a fact. Um, so it, that's kind of my question mark for the, for the second half of the season is just can we continue to play pretty good situational defense? Can we – 50 seconds. 50 seconds, that's – we can live with that. I mean, we're hopefully we'll move up into the 30s as the season goes on, but 
we can win with, with, you know, 33, 34, 35% on third down. Um, we're, we're playing pretty good red zone defense at times. We're, we're playing pretty good situational defense at times. Um, the thing that I've loved about our defense is how we've, we've come out when our backs against the wall, when our offense turns the ball over or, you know, a sudden change happens. So I love that out of our defense because I know Coach Chizik has always preached that, you know, control the things that you can control. And when something, another, you know, team, another you know, group of, on the field makes a mistake, then we got to control what we can and we can only defend what we have to. Um, so those are kind of my questions. And I'm, I'm proud of the defense through the, through the first four games, you know, only giving up 22 points a game on average. And, um, you know, we played some really good football at times. Yeah. 52nd third down defense and then 46th for for scoring defense and I think one of the things that those numbers don't take into account that they should take into account is through Carolina's four games they've played three power five opponents like like the amount of teams that have played three power five opponents is probably very low right now when you have you know the Bethune Cookmans and what whoever other teams are playing right now um that was a shot that was a shot at miami and not <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh but yeah carolina carolina has been tested with opponents and, and their defense is holding strong and i do think it's encouraging where um those second half numbers that you mentioned that those numbers are are really impressive and it shows that not only do the guys respond well to what they're being told to do the coaches have a game plan, and I think there there has been like a maybe it's a vocal minority of, of fans, but a vocal minority of fans who have the criticism real loud for for Coach Chizik, but then at the same time they they can't give him credit when the defense is doing well and the defense does have those adjustments to where like if if you're complaining about what the defense has done through four games, we're, we're watching. Uh, a completely different brand of football because the team I'm watching is they, they might struggle the first two drives as, as they're figuring out what teams are doing to them. Because I think that's another thing people fail to realize that the team that you're playing is uh, also a power five team with also 90 scholarships and guys that are getting recruited and, and a coaching staff that's trying to win games. But, you know, outside of those opening drives, this Carolina defense has been trending in the right direction and, just the fact that we're talking about a scoring defense or, or really any defensive number in the in the top half of college football through four games um, kind of shows that. Um, but that brings us to this last segment, and it is our pick of the weekend, and it's presented by our friends. If you're watching on YouTube, you see their logo in the bottom right corner, our friends at Congruity. They are North Carolina-based, national coverage, local presence, personal support straight from the Tario state and they are empowering small and mid-sized business owners with HR and payroll outsourcing, enabling you to grow your business while they take care of your greatest assets for people. And they are doing it with top of the line technology services for every stage of your business's growth with a state of the art online platform and the people at Congruity are obsessed with customer service. They become part of your team. They do the heavy lifting, providing essential admin support with a single point of contact. 
and support available on demand with services that are tailor-made. They are transforming organizations and congruity has helped hundreds of businesses improve and enhance their day-to-day lives. Level up your HR capabilities, save money, and unlock game-changing growth. Visit congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels because remember, they are Tar Heels too. To learn more about congruity, you can fill out a quick form to be connected to their consultants and they'll give Inside Carolina listeners or viewers a payroll and HR assessment for free. That's congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels. So, Jeff, the way congruity makes it easier for businesses, we want to make it easier for the gamblers out there. So we both like the sports gambling aspect. We love looking at spreads and and trying to figure out what are the best lines. Maybe we don't have the most success, and maybe that's why we're doing this segment, because we want some accountability with our records. And there's nothing better than when somebody tells you a pick and then you have that shared experience. Yep. And you win, you win together, you lose together. Hopefully you win more than you lose, and hopefully you bet responsibly. But who is your pick this weekend? And to mention, UNC is minus eight and a half at home against Cuse if you want it. But the entire board is yours. We don't, we don't have to get rich on one game. I'm not going to pick the UNC game this week just because I mentioned earlier in the podcast – Look, this is, this is a game this weekend that I don't care if we cover. I just care that we win. You know, we could win by three, six, five, seven. It doesn't matter. I think this is a game that we just got to win. Um, my, my pick of the week is going to be um, – shout out shout out my guy Prime out in, out in Colorado. I'm going to go Colorado minus four. Uh, they they yeah. play Arizona State, and I've just been really impressed with, with uh, Colorado and Shador Sanders and, and – uh, those weapons, those young weapons they have on offense and, you know, their defense gets run through a little bit and um, it's okay. I think Colorado is going to outscore them and they, sh- they showed some heart in the second half versus USC. So I'm going to ride with them this week and Colorado minus four is my pick of the week. Yeah. At Arizona state, Arizona state has lost four straight games. They lost to Oklahoma state. They lost to Fresno state. They lost to USC. They lost to Cal. Uh, they lost 29, nothing at home to Fresno state. So the, the home field atmosphere must not be good in, in Tempe, Arizona. And they're also um, suspended from the postseason this year. So it's not even like those players are like, Hey, maybe we can get to six wins. If you get to six wins does not matter. I like that thought Shador Sanders. And I, th- the- I think those players are already looking forward to the pool parties in the springtime. With- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think they're, they just like, they just like telling people they're on the football team so they can get, you know, <laughs> free access to these pool parties that's what i'm thinking yeah i i love that colorado offense and i love everything that prime has kind of done for colorado uh i'm gonna stay in the pac-12 so both our games are in the pac-12 uh neither is the night game so you don't have to worry about you know putting a bet in for a 10 o'clock game and then waking up in the morning and and seeing how it did that colorado game is 6 30 eastern time i'm going washington state is playing at UCLA. UCLA is minus three and a half. I am going to fade the Cougs. I I, I actually love the Cougs. I, I think they're oh, awesome. Wow. Cam Ward is their quarterback. He's kind of revitalized their offense. Their head coach, Jake Dickert, has kind of taken this nobody wants us approach, and, and it's kind of rallied his team to where Washington State is a, a top 15 team uh, with 
big wins at Oregon State, and they also won um, when Wisconsin was ranked. They're they're one of the few teams that are uh, one of 25 teams, including Carolina, that are still undefeated entering this week for college football. But I, I see minus three and a half against a top 15 team. I think this is a big spot for Chip Kelly. Uh, they have a true freshman quarterback, Dante Moore. They're coming off a tough loss against – they're coming off a, their their only loss of the year at Utah, which was a defensive battle, 14-7. They've had a week to prepare off the bye. Uh, I've got the Bruins minus three and a half. So those are our picks. Take them. Don't hold us accountable. If, if, you, want, if you want to bet with us, bet with us. If you don't want to bet – if you want to fade us and that makes you happy, do whatever you want. But we'll come back next week, recap how we did. I think I feel like we both have winners on our hands. And we're gonna be coming back. We're gonna be coming back the Donald Duck uh counting cash <laughs> uh meme. But shot that's that's all we got this week. A good episode coming off the bye. Carolina kicks off 3:30. It's the ESPN game, I wanna say. Yep, the ESPN game 3:30 kickoff. Back in Keenan Stadium, hosting Syracuse, number 14, UNC, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. The weather right now on my app says 73 degrees and sunny, so it, it could not be better in Chapel Hill. If you're going to be there, looking forward to seeing you. It's going to be a great one. Shopman, appreciate the time as always, and thank you to everybody who's listened or watched. Always appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, Vip.